When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Okay. <sighs> We're recording. Oh. Invite. Invite Verity Simmons. Verity Simmons entered the waiting room. Hi. Hello? Oh, hang on. There we go. Now oh. I'm calling using. Can you hear me now? Yeah. Yeah. Internet now. audio now. There we are. Good. How are you? All right. Yeah. Good. Thanks. Do you know what? I'm thanks. looking. Um, I've got windburn again today. Look at that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Was that from our, our afternoon in the sun? The I day? reckon it was, yeah. Yeah. How nice was that? Definitely caught a bit of that, didn't we? Yeah. It's good, wasn't it? Yeah. We, um, we're recording already, right? Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> I started a, recording and, uh, uh, sorry, I started recording and Rob, Rob didn't realise and came upstairs and had got, he's doing his exercises, had his exercise band on the door and was making some huffing and puffing noises. So I tried to explain that he would be on it, but I'm oh, still making the noises. <laughs> I think he's given himself a hernia. The old TRX, is it? Yeah. Oh, Rob, stop Ooh, acting that's up. That's not nice. He's that's acting nice. up now. Well, I just thought I'd explain to the listener, we um, we did an interview in your garden the other day, didn't we? Yeah. It was really nice. It was lovely. The sun yeah. was out. It was a really lovely guest, wasn't it? For a few weeks' yeah, time. And- and we've got two more in your garden this yeah. week that we're yeah, doing. Yeah, we have. God, I hope the sun stays out. <laughs> hope so. Yeah. Yeah, it's great. I'll be commuting up, up and down to Leighton. How is that it's commute? Like my, it's like having a new job. It's, <laughs> it's all right. It's uh, it's that bit where, you know, we go back down to the, the Blackwall Tunnel. Mm. That's uh, often not very good, is it? That no. Sort of late afternoon. Not good at all. <laughs> no, I used to do that a lot when I used to teach up in Chigwell. Oh, God, of course you did. I yeah. a lot of that journey. But, um, yeah, oh, so all the memories coming flooding back. Well, should we get on with the show? All we're doing is talking about roads at the moment. That's right. So, yeah. Major A roads, <laughs> arterial roads into London. We should tell them who, who we are. These people with such well, exciting conversation. Who oh, yeah. are these people? Uh, well, <laughs> the show is called Three in a Bar. And let me introduce myself. My name's Seb Philpot. I'm a trumpet player. Yeah. I don't know yeah. why I'm telling you to yeah. reassure thank, you. Yes, you are. You yeah, be, uh, well done. Yeah, yeah, thanks. <laughs> and what's your name? My name's Verity Simmons and I'm a cellist. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. You, you know, you might have listened to us before. Maybe you haven't. But ah. uh, welcome along, if not. And uh, let's, is this good? Is this good what we're doing? Uh, are you questioning oh, the whole format, Seb? Or are you just questioning this <laughs> conversation? Is it good what we're doing? I don't know. But we've <laughs> know. stuck with it for a year now. So like... <laughs> Let's keep going. <laughs> well, we chat to different musical guests each week. Yeah. All kinds of people. Uh, this week, we've got a, a band. Um, we have. And actually, usually there's three in a bar. We've actually got four in a bar this time. <gasps> first time we've two attempted guests. this. Yeah. It is, isn't it? The yeah. first time we've had two guests. It is, via Zoom. Well, we've got the band, the Young Thanks. Way. Well, two oh. of them. So, two of them. 
two cracking members. We've got Rachel Unthank and we have got Adrian McNally. Yeah. Hooray. They joined us over Zoom uh, because they they live not in London. No. We're trying to do them in person now. Now we're kind of allowed. But, yeah. Um, I think they're a bit far north. Th- yeah, Northumberland well. might have been a bit of a slog, I think, to get up yeah. there. <laughs> well, I found on their website they've got a, a bluffer's guide to the unthanks. Yes. So um, I'll just read out a bit of that. Um, Unthank is the real surname of sisters Rachel and Becky Unthank. It goes back to the border reaver times when the border between England and Scotland was a bloody and lawless place. There is still an Unthank Hall in Northumberland, though sadly nothing to do with this Unthank family. Oh. Okay. Well, (laughs) still, you know. It's good uh, though. There you go. It's a cracking name. So it's not a made-up stage name. Uh, you know, it's just their name. Uh, it was a good one. Now, the, the band used to be called Rachel Unthank and the Winter Set, which was from 2005 until 2009 when they changed to the Unthanks. In 2005, their debut album, Cruel Sister, got Mojo Folk Album of the Year. Yes. And then in 2007, the bands got nominated for the Mercury Music Prize. Brilliant. Great. It is great. That is we great. We all agree. <laughs> but then they changed to uh, the unthanks and um, my first experience of them was through my friend Liz who I talked about in in the interview and I lived with Liz uh, around 2010 11 that kind of time and she's a trumpet player who used to be living in England she's Welsh Mm-hmm. Lived in England. Now she lives in Copenhagen. It was Sweden, but I think she's living back in Copenhagen. She just had a baby. She's uh, having a great time over there with her wife. Lovely, lovely things. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it's great. But I don't see her very often anymore because she's she's away abroad. But um, hi, Liz, if you're listening. Um, <laughs> so, I, she yeah, she used, she used to play with the Unthanks. Right. And I think still does if, if they've got stuff on. That's right. And you played with them, as you mentioned in this interview, didn't you? Yeah, I did. Played with the BBC Concert Orchestra yeah. in 2008 when they played at the Proms. That's right. And that was a really good show, which we talk about. I don't want to talk about it too much now. No, quite. And what I, about you? Have you got a connection to it? I have. I've got a slightly more tenuous one. Well, yeah. no. I mean, Rob, my husband, led the orchestra, uh, Army of Generals, when they played with the Unthanks on a little mini tour. Um, um, yes. They were at the Sage with them. And where else did they go? Hmm. I can't remember. I think they did a London date as well. But I saw them, I saw the show they did at the Sage and it was so good. And since then, have listened to loads of their albums. I've even got their memory book, which is a beautiful thing. Oh, yeah. Can we put a link to that in the yeah, description? It's absolutely. Nice it's gorgeous. Art, isn't it? Yes. Um, I don't think we need to say anything else, do we? No, this was such a great chat, wasn't it? I mean, we got, yeah. they talk about so much. And honestly, you're here. They, they keep everything in-house and Adrian manages the band as well as performing with them. And they literally do everything, right. don't they? They do so much. They play in all kinds of different settings, which they talk about a bit. And, um, yeah, they run these weekends, which they'll talk about singing weekends. But, yeah, they're great. Let's go <laughs> Let's on just with the go. show, shall we? <laughs> yes, shall we? All right. This is our interview with The Unthanks. <laughs> We've met before. I thought you looked familiar. I don't know if you remember. I've, um, I'm friends with Liz Jones. <laughs> I played in the proms in, ah. in 2018. Oh. Uh, and 
It was one of, actually one of my career highlights because um, I was meant to be playing like bumper trumpet or something in the orchestra, the concert orchestra. And then the trumpet player, Kate Moore, went ill. So I sat up and played first trumpet. Oh, wow. And, uh, and Liz Jones, my mate, was out the front playing. And we used to live together. We were really good mates. So we used to do duets in the kitchen when we didn't have any work. Oh. And uh, it was a really great moment to play at the proms and do Mount the Air together. So so a great moment for you, Seb. And were you, were you proud of Liz too? Oh, I was so proud. It was She was so brilliant as well and so self-assured. And I mean, she's such an amazing musician. Mm, um, she is, but she's not always been self-assured. And that's... No, well, that's 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 true. I, I know Liz, Liz pretty well. I, I mean, I haven't seen her for a few years because she... She's moved away to Copenhagen now, but but no, she she's not always been that self-assured, but she was in that moment, which is brilliant. Yeah, absolutely. That that's been the the most exciting development for for me uh, for Lizzie. She's always been uh, outstanding musically, but to see a a, a confidence grow uh, with us. Um, I'm so so pleased for. Her. Well, thank yeah. you for thank you for being part of it. <laughs> thank you so much. We were so excited. It was, I mean, we played with orchestra orchestras before and um uh, but we'd never obviously played at the proms before and it was so exciting like it's kind of as a folk singer when we first started out it wasn't really something that I thought would we would ever do and and it, and actually because we'd we'd played there once at the folk awards as well so we had played there before and we played with an orchestra so usually we, we would like be so scared that like it would almost ruin it but because I think we'd done those two things before it 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 kind of we kind of knew we could do it <laughs> if we kept our nerve and so it was um it was just so exciting and of course Becky who sings with us and Neifa who's our fiddle player and also sings with us were both very pregnant as well so the moment in that mountain the air song which i I just remember that one particularly there's like a it builds and builds and builds isn't it? it's about a 10 minute long song a Mm. minute there's there's maybe a a bar of kind of almost silence and then it's like bang and then the orchestra comes in and then and you guys start doing your clog dance (laughs) um and becky was pregnant but still doing this clog dance. Apparently, amazing. But apparently, um, my mother's knit and natter group were not very pleased with her for clog dancing. <laughs> 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 but she said yeah. she did a low energy version. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah, we, great. we owe a lot to uh, to mount the air in, in a lot of ways. It, you know, it, it uh, it's just a, a great facilitator to be able to. Uh, uh, you know, if we're playing a festival, for instance, uh, to finish a set off, it's a real roof raiser and um, yeah, yeah, it's a great asset to have. Yeah, I think that was one of the first ones that I heard because the first time I ever heard your music was when you were playing with the Army of Generals. Um, I oh, heard yeah. the recording from, I think it was at the Sage. And the so Madhya and also Gans the Kai, which is just truly sunny and it works so well with that huge orchestration thank you is it, do you find it still feel a real thrill from playing with an orchestra is that an exciting thing even now yeah it certainly is I think um I think like Adrian you're in the midst of it and actually Adrian writes writes the scores as well even though he can't actually read yeah. music but yeah. um but for me and wow. for me and, <laughs> for me and Becky we kind of 
you know, we're standing at the front and it's kind of, we're surrounded by it. And um, it's just so exciting to be like a part of that rich, powerful sound. Um, and yeah, love love that point in Mount the Air when it just, there's a break and it comes in. It feels like you could fly or something. I really enjoy it. And who would have thought that we'd ever get to clock dance with an orchestra as well? Again, it's like, it's... Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> There should be so much more clog dancing with orchestras. I've always said Definitely. it. <laughs> That's awesome. It's been it's been a it's been a long journey, really. We we first started using uh, sort of quasi orchestral arrangements um, back when when it was the winter set, and and we we had this um, traditional piece of music called Felton Lonin, which I, I wrote a, a string quartet arrangement for um, the, the night. Uh, or rather during the night on which the uh, four players from the Northern Symphonia were coming into the studio the following day to to um, to play. We were rather behind. Um, and um, it, it, it's uh, it's something that we've we've utilised a lot since. And I, I think initially I, I wanted to use orchestral and classical musicians, partly because if, if that's a music, sort of musician you're using that uh, they're unlikely to play a folk cliche because perhaps they don't know what one is um and Rachel and Becky's vernacular as singers uh, in terms of their tradition is so strong that it allows me to to, to orchestrate in, in, in with all sorts of colors uh in a in a non-traditional way um and the music still sounds grounded in, in what they do because their vernacular is so strong. So it almost feels better to counterpoint their vernacular than it do, than it is to, to contribute to it and, and to provide something uh, austere and glacial uh, to, to, to set, set the music apart from them. So rather than accompaniment, I, I sort of consider it to be sort of uh, like, a, like an altered discourse to, to their traditional unaccompanied singing. And the, and, the, and the the further away from their vernacular we I can get, the the, the more that uh, is felt. Ho- hopefully, well, you could really hear that with the the contrast between uh, it's Nifa, isn't it, who plays folk yeah. fiddle, the plays the fiddle with you, and then when you're hearing the classical strings as well, it, it's a fantastic contrast, and they, it really sets the two apart, like you were just saying, mm. and gives it two different flavors. It's yeah, mm. fabulous. I really I love her fiddle playing. I feel like it grounds. Grounds us in a way. It's kind of an attempt to to, to evoke the sort of scale and uh, awe of of Northumberland as well. Um, that you know that those great big open skies and and the sort of anomaly between you know what a peaceful place it is now and what a, a bloody place it used to be. To try and create soundscapes that are still and large in scale, almost beautiful but a bit stark. Almost peaceful, but a bit unsettling is is an attempt to convey that area as well, and 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 I don't think that was conscious initially. I think that was just a you know what came out in the music through through being in this place really and trying to provide some sort of unsettlingness to these little kitchen sink almost nursery rhymes like Felton Lonin and Ganter the Kai, which are so simple musically, but there's something slightly unsettling in the, in the words that that could be just a nursery rhyme, but that there's there's usually something that sounds slightly ominous and not not quite right but what's going on and we're just trying to imply that in the in the scale of the music really i mean you've been involved in the production of of uh rachel's music and and because it was called rachel 
and thank and the winter set for, and you started in 2005 as that name gosh right? i'm not sure is that is that when you came on board to kind of produce and 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 manage the band was that right um yeah well i, I met Rachel and I met romantically before we met. Um, before we decided to to work together, we tried our best not to work together. It didn't seem like a good, great <laughs> idea. Um, so, yeah. but uh, the, uh, her talent and, and Becky's talent became apparent very quickly. Um, but they were kind of a bit lost as to where to start in terms of you know. But I think Becky uh, was still too young to worry about it. But Rachel had been sort of you know mindful of of making her you know. A, She'd been in lots of other people's bands. What was she going to do herself? And um, so we kind of put the winter set together together. There's the three of us, really, because me and Becky used to just sing as a duo. So there was, like we used to sing unaccompanied duo together just so that we could try and get to folk festivals for free and things like that. And I think <laughs> oh, sure, I, had, yeah. I, had, <laughs> I had thought about doing it in more seriousness myself because I was like, I've been to uni and out the other end, but Becky's like, she's seven and a half years younger than me. So she was like about to go. And like, we kind of had this strange discussion one day that I think Adrian and Becky just like kind of came up with together. And I was a bit uncomfortable with really was to put my name and, and a band give it that kind of security that like if she decided she didn't want to be a singer then she could go off and do something else and it wouldn't affect what I was doing and so it was, it was supposed to be like um like a, a shield in a way but in in the way in the end it just ended. She, she wasn't she wasn't that uncomfortable with it to be fair <laughs> That's not true. <laughs> but um, it, I think in the end, it, like, it just became a bit confusing because it'd be like, and that was Rachel and Thank of the Winter Set. And it was like, well, actually, it was Becky singing that song. So because it didn't really change the dynamic of what we actually did. And we always kind of shared the vocals and who would lead a song. It was always quite even. And But Adrian um, helped us kind of put our first band together and helped us kind of think about, it kind of gave us the confidence of, like, um, to think that we could, like, take it seriously, I guess. Because, I mean, my dad sings, my mum and my brother plays instruments. We all, you like, were surrounded by a lot of people who make music. And it, it, it I, I think I struggled quite a lot with, like, saying I'm a singer, you know, because it was like, oh, I'm in a, I want to be in a band because it felt like um, a kind of everybody did it. And then you, it's like you're saying you're something special or something and so it was <laughs> yeah it's almost the it's almost the process of going from the folk club floor yeah. where there's that democracy of of of, of everyone uh be contributing to, yeah. to to moving up to the stage and saying well i, I expect you to pay to yeah. see me sing yeah so what did you start out with did you did you do like the festival scene first of all or did you start in folk clubs and then or a whole mixture a mixture really all of the mm, above yeah. really yeah and was there a moment where you felt like oh no I can say this I can say we're in the band. <laughs> it's okay um I, can't, I guess when it was really nice when um our first album was it was it Cruel Sister or was it the Burns Adrian was nominated for um, Mojo. I'm not answering I think that it was question for you, Rachel. I, I think just... it was uh, the band. <laughs> oh, the Mercury. No, I, no, no, I don't mean the Mercury. I mean, well, yeah, that was quite good. No, oh. firstly, I think it was our first one was nominated for like a Mojo Folk album of the year. And that was like, wow, yeah. that was really exciting. It was. It, it was yeah. Folk album of the year. Yeah. Yes. And, uh, and, and to that point, we barely 
you know, we we felt like we'd barely registered yeah. with anyone at all. Yeah, um, right. And there it was in Mojo Magazine. We were sat outside the co-op in Corbridge. <laughs> um, in the car. When, when we found out. Yeah, I remember very I distinctly. Remember. Um, and the other very distinct moment was... Um, was was being in my office at seven a.m. one morning, yeah. which was very rare, and uh, listening to six <laughs> music when Phil Jupiter used to present the breakfast show, and uh, and he played a song, and I th- and I thought, oh, that was good. I wonder what that was, and he didn't back announce what it was, so I sent a text and said, oh, Phil, can you let us know what that song was? And the next minute, my phone's ringing. I said, oh my god, is is that Phil Jupiter's ringing? Why would he? <laughs> hello and it's hello mate it's phil and i I didn't know each other at that time or anything like it was just ringing me as a as a listener and telling me what it was and i I sort of almost took the opportunity to say oh by the way i'm you know i'm in a band um you might like our music but i didn't i I thought that would be an abuse of uh you know his willingness just to ring me uh, so yeah. I didn't say anything, but I sent him the album in the post and reminded him of our chat the day before. And, and he played he played Monday morning the following Monday morning, and, and that was exciting. It almost feels like the rest <gasps> is history in a way, in God. terms, particularly in terms of being taken seriously by you know by the, the wider music world rather than just the folk circuit and what have you. I felt like a, a real moment, and just pure, purely fortuitous. <laughs> <laughs> But isn't that always the case? I think Mm. everyone says that, you know, it can be, it's just one little thing and then you're sent on this whole different adventure. And that's, that's incredible that that happens. All the the publicists in the world couldn't have made that happen. (laughs) But I think the Mercury was definitely, the Mercury was definitely a big kind of, oh gosh, that was like, wow, Uh, that was really exciting. And like, um, yeah, it was really exciting, wasn't it? Did that then lead on to other things? Did you feel like from having that exposure that it just kind of gave you a little lift up to be able to mm-hmm. to do other things that maybe you wouldn't have thought you could before? I think so. I think just that like people would, if you've got that stamp, then people will give you a chance. So, you know, more people are likely to give you a chance really, whether that be listening to your music or playing it on the radio or working with different people. Um, I think, don't, don't you think, Aid? looking back uh well yes and knowing that it certainly did help but we kind of we could have taken we could have benefited from that more had we not at that point probably not decided to to change our name at that point yeah that's true and almost start again (laughs) (laughs) um that you know up to that point and i'll put the wind set together i'll put it together without me on on stage because i i didn't you know i didn't have the confidence as a musician to to think i could be that that person well, we got fed up basically. I didn't, like, I didn't with him I didn't. and told him he just yeah. had to get on with it because he he used to like <laughs> yeah. me, him, and Becky would talk about ideas and then we would get him to communicate it to our piano players and we were like, in the end, we were like, can you just not do it? And he's like, no, I'm not good enough. And we're like, yeah, you are. Just do it. <laughs> I didn't do my practice as a kid. What was that first you know, gig and, like, and, Adrian? And so from a, <laughs> well, well. That is a story. That's quite a story um, because it, it wasn't meant it wasn't meant to be when it actually happened. Um, we we went to America. I was just there as manager and and, and sound engineer. And our um, our pianist at the time, she didn't get into the country. Well, she did, um, but her and I spent four hours in in security being grilled <laughs> independently. Oh no! Um, and she got she got sent home. 
She got departed. Reasons that, that's another <laughs> another story. Uh, she just she didn't did, have the right visa. So, it wasn't it wasn't anything uh, untoward. Yeah. <laughs> so we said, oh well. No. We said, can you send us home as well? Because without her, there's no point us being here. And they said, oh well, no, she's been deported. If you want to go home, you're here by rights, so it, you, you're going to need to pay uh, another flight if you if you want to get home. It's fifteen hundred quid each. Oh my God. Couldn't afford it, could we? Couldn't afford it. So these two started saying to me, like, "Oh, well, maybe you could do it." Bearing in mind, we got a show in Las Vegas in front of two thousand Ben Folds fans. Yeah, following day. we were supporting <gasps> Ben Folds. Oh my God! <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> and they just slowly started talking me around, and we said, "Okay, well, let's ring the tour manager." And telling me, telling the situation. So we rang him and said, "Look, this is what's happened. Um, we're prepared to give this a go um, if you can get us a keyboard in our dressing room at nine a.m. tomorrow morning. But we want you to know that you'd think we were crazy for, for even considering it if you if you were in our shoes. So we're only prepared to do it if you put a support act on standby. Uh, we want to know that you'll be okay if we if we mess up and, and say no at the last minute." Um, and he was just like, oh, no, I've got a good feeling yeah. about you guys. It's going to be fine. Don't hey, worry. Hey, I've got a good feeling so, about you guys. You're going to be fine. That sounds like too much work. <laughs> we were like, no, we might not be. So, so we had to do it. <laughs> so if, if my um, if my lack of practice as a kid uh, could have come back and, and, and haunt me as a, an adult, then uh, being in front of 2,000 Ben Folds fans with him, one of the greatest pianists in the world, stood in the, oh, in the wings laughing at me. Um, <laughs> It's making my palms sweat thinking about it. this. <laughs> <laughs> we had fun though, didn't we? And then, we? And then um, it was a good yeah, tour. We, we, oh. we did, it was well. You guys actually ended up saying it was your favourite tours of oh. to, to date at that point. Yeah, Neofo um, particularly loved the, it. The, the whole tour, in a way, was consumed by the other problem we had, which was in the middle of his tour, he had a little break. And so our agent had put together some headline shows. So we rang our agent and said, look, we've managed to get this 30 minute support set together for Ben, but there's no way we can do an, an hour and a half as a, as a, as a headline. And he was the same as, as Ben's tour manager, you know, so, you know, we've just started to get somewhere with these agents. If we cancel these, that might be it in America. So we spent the rest. We we've been to San Diego. We've been to LA. Kansas. We've been all over. Didn't uh, see any all of over it. America. We didn't see any of it because oh. we spent the whole thing in in hotel oh, rooms no. rehearsing. It was for mostly LA that we didn't see. Oh. I think yeah. that was a bit annoying. We just did in this tiny what motel a shame. with a cheap mm. keyboard. Oh no! <laughs> but we did it. It was fun. So that oh, was that's, my, it was fun. That was my baptism of fire. That first concert you played playing piano for the. First time publicly ever on piano? Uh, well, the first time since being a teenager. Uh, Bearing in mind, I would have been in my late 30s at that point. How did you kind of get through it? What, what were your sort of coping mechanisms there? Did you just think, just play simple, easy stuff? Just like, what did you do in that moment was, to get through it? <laughs> well, Steph, our, um, our pianist, she spent the whole uh, plane journey home um, frantically writing at scoring out some of the parts in the hope that would help me, which I mean, it did a tiny bit, but you know, I don't really read. So, um, I was on my own really. Um, and it was, it, yeah, it was really frightening. Um, but we did, we had started some work on, on some new material for the album that I was going to end up being the piano player on. Some of that was closer to my fingertips than the old stuff. So we actually sort of like pushed on and tried to develop some of that new material, uh, within that, one day we had 
Yeah, I was going to say that's um, handy but, for the extra hour of material that you needed to find. Yeah, then, yeah, right? yeah. <gasps> if terrifying, <laughs> it's the old uh, necessity is the mother of invention. Absolutely, yeah. Why? But I do, I do still suffer from from stage anxiety. I don't particularly get nervous as a rule, mm. but uh, I I have this little p- problem on my shoulder, uh, at which I'm, I'm sure lots of people who perform in different shapes and forms may, maybe have um, of. And I used to have it in exams as a kid of of sort of being hyper aware of the importance of the moment. And then that pressing down on you in a kind of like, you know, what if you messed up now? Um, you don't know what the next chord is. What's the next chord? Um, because you've done it so many times before, you don't actually know what the next chord is. It's just, you know, that's one of the problems of not reading. <laughs> it's all up there. Uh, and it's and it's all in the muscle memory as well. But if you start thinking about it too much and uh, my brain tri- plays tricks on me, uh, in a way that frequently makes me want to give up performing altogether. Oh, I, I totally understand. And I've been through huge stages of that myself, even when reading and just then, just suddenly starting to try and second guess yourself and say things mm. to yourself like, do I actually know how to do that shift? <laughs> is that okay? It's it's just one of those cruel things in performance, isn't it? And yeah. I was actually really interested to find out because you do so many different, um, perform in so many different places and, and in different sizes from very tiny clubs to huge venues. If there are anything these days that, that unnerves you or whether you kind of feel equally confident in each setting. Well, I think, um, well, Age has already said he is nervous in all of them. <laughs> and I think, um, I mean, I'm quite different from age and is that I am a more of a live in the moment person. And I do forget my words as well. I do, I do understand that, but I kind of, I'm, I rise to an occasion. That's my personality that like Adrian always says is worried about me in rehearsals because he doesn't think I'm doing very well. But once I get on the stage, I'm, for some reason it all falls into place. Um, but I think like, I think I get most nervous, like, Sometimes it's more nerve wracking in a really small room when you can see the whites of everybody's eyes. And, and it depends who's like, you know, like if you want your friends and family to like, like what you've done, that's sometimes more nerve wracking. And, and I think being, I can't even, re- do you know what? I can't remember it's been that long since I've been on a stage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> one, of the, one, of the, one of the things I struggle with is uh, one of the reasons we have 10 people on stage in our full lineup is from the off, I've, tried to arrange music in order to give all the clever bits in my head to to better musicians in the hope of leaving myself something I can manage. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, but conversely, what tends to happen is this, the, the more simple the part I've left myself to play, the more likely I am to make a mistake. Um, and I'm consumed with uh, how the whole thing's sounding and end up making an, an error because I'm not thinking about the simple thing. I've got to do and I'm far less likely to make a mistake when there's less of us on stage and my parts are more complicated and I really need to focus on what I'm doing. I tell you I was very very nervous when you were saying that's funny that you heard us on the the recording with the army, army of generals um at the stage because we knew it was being recorded so we were all like it was terrifying because and it was, it was quite, I found it quite nerve wracking playing with an orchestra because if you, if you go wrong in a small band, like the band compensate, you know, we all compensate for each other and you bluff it over. But like, you can't do that with an orchestra because they're following the dots, aren't they? And I would like look at Charles on occasion and he'd look at me and go, now. 
So I could just. <laughs> he's such a cool customer, though, yeah, isn't he? He's brilliant. He's like, he's the ideal person for that kind of situation. You want him there, just. Sometimes yeah. I just look at him in terror and he'd be like, now, Rachel. <laughs> but um, he was, he's very reliable. So again, and again, there was a couple of occasions where I messed up, but he, you know, he managed to like bring us back in or whatever in the right place and um but thankfully i think for the, we just i was just praying that like that thing didn't happen that your brain just didn't stop and that you've did forgot all the words even though you know them all and but it um it made us really concentrate and actually so the next night we played in london which i guess usually i would be much more a little bit more nervous about because gates said his home but because we were so relieved of having not be recorded but I remember that gig as really like enjoyable because we kind of just were like yay let's just enjoy it I was listening to um one of your other podcasts um uh, the other day guys um in readiness for this and um something that came up as has been a real issue f- uh, for me and I thought it would thought it was just me because I'm inexperienced with playing with the orchestras but it does seem to be a thing and that is the issue about where the where the one is, where the beat is. Oh, yes. Yeah. Um, I can't yeah. remember who you were talking to, but the, f- the first time we played with an orchestra, we played with, um, well, we played with a brass band first, and then we played with um, the Liverpool Philharmonic. And the first rehearsal, uh, the one was so far away from where I expected it to be in terms of where the conductor was implying the one was, that within 10 seconds I had to put my head down and just listen and not yeah. watch anything anymore. Oh, it's terrifying. <laughs> oh, and, God. And you have to learn so much about the, the different culture, different orchestras and and in different countries. And it's fascinating. Yeah, we didn't know anything. There should be so much that. so much variation in, in interpretation of where, where, that, where that beat is. Yeah. I still find that absolutely terrifying now after years and years. Like that, I, I find it much easier being in a in a show or or playing with bands where you know that is one. <laughs> and I think it's it's you need a real confidence to sit behind that beat and come in. Oh God, mm. yeah. I don't know where uh, that's come from. I mm. think um, it tends to be in brass bands and wind bands and that kind of thing. It's always pretty much on the beat and and, mm. and pit bands. I mean, like a West End pit bands, yeah. that kind of thing. Um, and for some reason, classical orchestras have kind of gone away from that and i don't know if that's come out of some sort of hesitancy because it can come from that yeah like all the string all the violinist kind of doesn't want to be the first person to do it so (laughs) so i don't know if it's come out from that or what or i've heard i've heard it said that unless the orchestra are behind the conductor then he's not conducting isn't that bizarre? Oh right, which is <laughs> it's to, so uh, it seems ridiculous to me. Uh, there's a um, there's quite a famous video now of a, a, a female. Uh, I think she's French, a, a conductor. You guys will probably know who she is. I can't remember her name, and um, it's it's just a, a YouTube thing, and and, it, and everyone likes it because she's she's almost dancing. She's, you yeah. know, she's using the entire body to, to conduct. And that seems so logical to me that, you know, we all watch, you know, <laughs> we don't all watch Strictly. Uh, but I watch Strictly. <laughs> but what I'm, what I I'm trying to say is, um, yeah. is that we, uh, we we all have an innate sense of, of whether someone's a good dancer or not, which which really illustrates how good we are at interpreting rhythm visually, that we can see the someone's rhythm. So, so um, with so much... Um, nuance visually what, and the, the idea of not taking advantage of that in, in a conductor by playing with his 
body, yeah. <laughs> as it were, that yeah. behind his body seems yeah. absurd to me. But yeah, what, what do Absol- I know? <laughs> That's really interesting. I, often you, you hear people say, "What what does the conductor actually do?" Because I think to the layperson, like they literally can't tell because they're not playing anything. They're not even beating in time with your <laughs> visually. Yeah. So what what are they doing? And, mm. and you say, well, they're, they're, it's their interpretation of that symphony. But it would make more sense, yeah, if if they were almost dancing a bit more because yeah. it's that totally makes sense. Mm. Yeah. Um, and that that feeds. You, you know, see someone dancing. The musicians would would definitely know where the beat is. Mm. And the audience would too. It would be a better show. I mean, I'm not saying they'd have to do some clog yeah. dancing, but but like, um, hey, <laughs> well, you know, I'm always available. <laughs> Might ruin a few sonatas, but you know. You grew up very close to Grimethorpe Colliery Band, is that right? Yeah, just a couple of miles. Yeah, so right. we were always around at Christmas, and uh, it's very much part of the backdrop. Did you ever play a brass instrument? Uh, I did. Yeah, I, I played cornet for about four years. Uh, ah. In middle school, I, I had asthma, which it was probably good for my asthma to play trumpet, but it wasn't good for my trumpet playing to pl- to have asthma. Uh, <laughs> and, yeah, it's probably possibly my only regret in life is is stopping uh, stopping playing. Who taught you? Was it someone in a band or just whoever came into school? Band. Yeah, he probably was in a brass band. I expect, yeah. yeah. I don't think your parents were that keen either, were they? <laughs> yeah, it's the only, <laughs> only instrument I wasn't encouraged on, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and Rachel, I, I'm sure I've seen pictures of you playing the cello. Oh, me? Is that right? Oh, gosh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. probably, yeah. <laughs> Ian, can I just show you why I know that? Because look what I've got here. Oh, this, no. And nobody can hear this, obviously. This is great visual thing for a podcast. But your amazing memory book, your merchandise oh. is <laughs> tremendous. Thank I love you. it. So, did, yeah. <laughs> The cello. Yeah. Do you still play? Occasionally. Occasionally. Oh, but again, I, I just learned at school and uh, my cello teacher actually discovered that I was into folk music because he wrote a, like a book for kids to learn to play a cello. He was writing one with folk tunes in. And he and I remember him bringing them and I and he was getting me to play them. And I was going, they don't go like that. And he was like, what do you mean? And I'm like, they don't go like that. I have to be able to clock dance that tune. It's supposed to. So the way he'd written them, and he must have found them in a book, it was with an even beat. So it was like, da, 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 da. And it, that, it doesn't, it goes, da, 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 da. So I was like, so I managed to convince him that I was right. I mean, I was only like a kid. And um, and he had to go back around Gateshead and reteach everybody how to play them correctly. But um, <laughs> but from that, we kind of like made this little bond and he and he just let me play folk music on my cello. And um, so he like let me play those tunes and he helped me like arrange to play to sing. And I think he probably just liked doing something different for a change. So, but because of that, I didn't actually play a lot of classical music. So I only got up to about grade four or something. I never really learned how to do vibrato or anything like that. But I did have... I don't know that I ever really have either, sure. it hasn't stopped me. <laughs> but it- but the, the cello playing on the first two Winterset records is Rachel. Oh, is it really? Apart, apart from the string quartet bit where you got a proper cello player in. <laughs> yes. Apart from Felton Lonin, yeah. But I did get some <laughs> lessons actually from from Gabriel um Northern uh, Northern Symphonia um gave me some lessons because I think I started to get a bit like self conscious about going on tour with my not brilliant cello 
plane and he helped me and actually we gave he helped me mostly with just confidence and saying you know actually I wasn't that bad (laughs) so but you're a proper cello player I was kind of relieved in a way in the end when (laughs) when I could just stand up and sing and I didn't have the responsibility anymore of playing in tune (laughs) so well that's so funny I feel like the the total opposite even to the extent that when when Seb told me I had to sing on the theme tune for this podcast I it literally <laughs> sent me into a sort of nosedive of stress <laughs> but um yeah so I like hiding behind my cello <laughs> oh I love oh I love cellos though I really love the cello it's beautiful and I love hearing people who can play them properly play <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> I do love my cello. I like to ma- I, I like to make an orchestra sing. Oh, you do. do you? Yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I think we did that with Ganter the Kai from. Yeah. Right? Um, I remember seeing... Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And the the reticence and the the unease it yeah. causes it's hilarious. <laughs> That's which excellent. Is, which is a great it's a great five minutes for me because I walk onto the stage with an orchestra having written their music. I'm and I'm the only one who can't read it. And so, you know, the oboe player says, um, in bar 164, did you mean this or this? And um, it's like, I have no idea what on bar 164 is, mate. Sorry. Um, so yeah. so to, to have that moment where uh, we get them to sing and make them feel uh, slightly out of their water is um, always enjoyable. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> absolutely. I don't know why that. I yeah, I don't know. Why is that? Why is that? I don't so, know why. Tell us. I don't know. I was thinking about it um when you were saying, uh, Rachel, about, about learning the cello and, and how great it was actually that your teacher said, oh, it's fine, well, let's let's like lean into the stuff that you enjoy and really like. And they could have easily just said, no, we're going to do the grade one stuff and then maybe we'll, we'll do that later. And I don't know why there is a certain, like there's a, there's one route to go down the classical music and it's and it is this kind of hide behind your instrument and don't show your own personality um, and that that's what most most classical musicians are like that and yeah ask them to improvise something or sing something and it a lot of the time people will will not want to do it or get really nervous and and it won't be like making music because they'll be it's just not that's not what making music is they're not even making music that classical music is sort of just interpreting music really yeah 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 yeah. Do you know, my brother had a, the opposite experience as well. He had a, he had a violin, he used to, he'd learnt violin at school and he hated his violin lessons and he wasn't, I don't think, I think he struggled to read actually at the time and maybe the teacher didn't realise and, but like, like they thought he was just really bad player and then one day my um, general music teacher saw him play vocal tunes with me and she literally couldn't believe it. She was like, I didn't know you probably could play like that. You know, it's like, and it's funny how sometimes that, yeah, there's, that, that was like completely separate. It was almost like had nothing to do with the violin that he played at school and the fiddle music that he played really well at home and that somehow those things couldn't meet and cross over. And it's such a shame, really. And I don't know whether that's to do with my brother's teacher or my brother, really, but um, like, you know, that... Like he was such a brilliant musician, but it didn't it didn't transpose. It's about different ways of learning, isn't it? And, and it is, isn't it? Yeah, no one's to blame. I, I think it's real. Uh, yeah, I think the you know doing what we've done with Charles and and you know other attempts to to kind of cross pollinate um, orchestral music with different types of music is so so important. And on both sides, we, we've had some lovely comments from from orchestra players of you know, oh, you know that was a 
that's the best thing we've done all year. And and I don't take that as a musical compliment in terms of, you know, oh, you know, I think your music is fantastic. I enjoy playing it so much. I, I, I rather hope that it's more a question of them enjoying contributing in, in different ways and, and playing repertoire that's, that's different and that requires different skills and, and hopefully opens up in the same way that, for us, playing with orchestras has massively opened up our musical experiences and understanding. Um, you know, I hope the same is true the other way as well in terms of having that opportunity to use the brain in different ways and to, to develop confidence in being spontaneous um, or, or having a say. Um, you know, with with our quart just with our quartet even that you know they're given music to play by. I always encourage feedback and and uh, you know I want I want to know how. Um, that that phrase is best played on that instrument and uh, yeah, just th- feel like that music is so much better when everyone has a say and and, uh, and and can bring something to the table in terms of, you know, what's going on in their head as well as in their fingers. Is it hard for to wear the two hats, performer and, and then kind of producing, managing sides? How <laughs> difficult is it to sort of compartmentalise those areas? <laughs> uh yeah it's it's it's, it's awkward not laughter. <laughs> <laughs> awkward laughter awkward laughter i know <laughs> yeah it's it's not great i mean uh, it it was it was great to start with in in yeah. that um you know because i'd worn a lot of hats in the industry um early on in my life mostly uns- unsuccessfully but nevertheless I, I got the experience um it, that when I met Rachel and Becky, that sort of came about at a time where the music industry was um, dying as as we knew it, and we were in, entering into you know more of this uh, world that we live in now, where you're expected to be able to do everything, and it's much more of a DIY cottage industry. And and I had you know enough skills across the board to to, to you know to arrive into that at the at the right time really, and I, I'm sure that was instrumentally in a, a lot of our success initially but uh, as my creative and artistic role in in things has grown my management hasn't been cut back <laughs> enough uh, so it, it's it's been at great costs on on a personal level in, in lots of ways i don't necessarily recommend it but um you know we we have been fighting the tide of a of a, of a dying industry uh, or, or at least a, a rapidly changing one and we, we've we managed to stay afloat so as a band i think that's been very helpful. It's not always been great for me, uh, or for all for them. Uh, you know, it took me a long time to realise that. You know, I really don't like um, telling people what to do, and as a consequence, I'm not very good at it. I, I don't. I'm not a very good manager on, on a on a personal. You're doing all right. Uh, don't worry. Yeah. On a people so on a people well. level. Uh, Sometimes you need a translator. <laughs> you need good cops and bad cops, yeah. and. and uh we've we've managed over the years but we you know we still aspire to be managed and and not to do it ourselves we still aspire to delegate and to find you know we had an operations director uh, for the last two years we we had to let go as a result of lockdown but we're still experimenting with ways of 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 remaining independent but uh, employing from you know uh, uh, finding internal posts yeah, because I guess the fear is that then, because obviously, because you're managing from in- internally, it means that you can have uh, so much creative control over what mm. you're choosing yeah. to do. And yeah. I guess that's a slight fear of bringing in mm-hmm. somebody who it might affect. And I think that. we do have a really strong sense of like what we want to do and and how we want to do it, and and especially from you, Adrian. And it is, I think, it is difficult to to delegate not 
because you want to keep all of the all of the control, but because like if you have to, you have to tell you have to translate that to those ideas to somebody else and trust that they understand it the way you do and and it um and and also it's just expensive as well like but the biggest problem for me is is particularly as someone who didn't do their practice as as a kid so i've still got lots of lots to develop artistically hopefully 99% of my working time is still spent in a non-artistic way so you know please any anyone who wants to manage us uh, please get in touch <laughs> get in touch because i i am definitely ready to to be you know to become the artist i'm meant to be and I've, yes i've had enough really have <laughs> I want to ask about um, the, the fact that you don't read music, Adrian. Has that actually been much of a, a, a barrier for you? Because it doesn't seem to have held you back, really, in terms of the, the scale that you're able to, to arrange for. But or how, And how do you get around that? Um, well, it hasn't been a, a barrier to my imagination, perhaps. Uh, it, it's, it's all up there, and it, it sort of always has been. Um, it's just getting it out. Uh, and, you know, I'm certainly not... Yeah, I think there are musicians on our side of the tracks that are, you know, have some inverted snobbery about, uh, you know, or written music, that's not real music and all that sort of thing. I'm definitely not one of those. I think I'll be a lot better off if if I could read and write. It would just be a lot quicker and I wouldn't have to spend, you know, half my fee that I got from that commission uh, paying someone to, to, to write it down or, or whatever. So I, I still aspire to learn, but uh, yeah, we, we just have our, we just have our ways. Sometimes we use software and I play it all into a keyboard and then I get an orchestrator to kind of make sure that the orchestra aren't going to laugh at it, uh, dot the I's and cross the T's. Or sometimes our fiddle player, Nia, for she sits next to me and I basically dictate the parts uh, you know, on, from piano. So this is a cello part for this four bars and I'll play it out and she writes it down. And I'd say, though, that's actually probably the most normal way of composing. I mean, if you forget the classical side of things, but most band, people's, people in bands don't really read music, a lot, lot of people. A lot of film composers compose with that sort of method, playing it in, and then they send it off to an orchestrator. They don't have to deal with the, the staves and writing things down properly. Right, right. So I, I that's from what I, from what I gather from a sort of compositional side of thing. So that seems to work for everyone else. So I, I think it's... Uh, Thank you. That, that that might help somewhat with my imposter syndrome. Uh, <laughs> oh, so there you are. Thank I've, you very much. Well. <laughs> but I was going to say as well, that it's like, um, so on the, the um, album you did with Brickhouse, which is magnificent, by the Thank way, you. the song, the, the King of Rome, um, the intricacy of the arrangement in that, I mean, it just shows that it obviously it's not something that's held you back, not being right there because it just it's so there's so much in there there's some gorgeous lines sort of all mixing in together and that's fantastic it doesn't sound like that with any problem whatsoever of course by not being able to write that down that well that that was probably the most frightening of all um we had a, a crazy six months, which we we've just spent some time looking back on uh, as a part of a, a podcast we did because it's it's ten years ago right now. Within a six month period, in which uh, was the last six months of Rachel's nine month first pregnancy as well, so there was that going on too. We, Wowzers! We, we made <laughs> and premiered the content of four records, four albums in six months. Oh my uh, god! And and, wow. and toured one of them, um, premiered all four of them. We went we went to Australia during that time as well. Uh, but the first four months of George's life, our first child. Um, Sorry, first four months, first four weeks of his life was the mm. f- was the four weeks prior to the premiere of the brass 
thing in uh, at Durham Cathedral. Durham Cathedral. Um, so so I, I wrote all the whole 90 minutes of scores in the first four weeks of his life, uh, including King of Rome. Um, and I think a lot of that comes down to that lack of time and just and, and having no option but to trust your first instinct. That's a hell of a deadline, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, a lot of it comes down to that. It's just tr- it's having no, no option but to trust your first instinct. And but with practically everything we've ever done, there's, there's been that sort of level of pressure for, for one reason or another. I mean, that was, um, that, that was one pressure. Like, I think like, yeah, I, I, at one point the band were read, I would, I wouldn't actually make it through the gig <laughs> with like concentration levels were not uh, great, but like we'd never, you know, like you'd never, ha- before you have a kid, you don't really think, oh, well, I'll just give birth and then I'll get up on stage four weeks later and do a big concert. It'll be fine. But um, it's harder than that, parents, <laughs> turns out. But, uh, hey, I was in hospital for at least a week, so, you know, you got a whole week of quiet. <laughs> <laughs> That's great arranging time, that is. Really. <laughs> but, I mean, the first four weeks of a, a child's life is pretty quiet, isn't it? It's uh, For you. you know, they, they, they sleep a lot. <laughs> Is it just a blur, Rachel? (laughs) Time, (laughs) just a complete blur. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. But certainly, um, um, arranging for for brass was. Well, I say it was more difficult than arranging for an orchestra. I hadn't done that at that point. That uh, until then, I'd only done uh, the largest arrangement I'd done was for a string quartet. Then suddenly I got these all these brass instruments. And and having done both now, having done that and orchestral, I, I think brass is a lot harder. Um because if you you know if you've got imagination and you're writing for an orchestra, you know, you know what a flute sounds like and you know what a cello sounds like and a harp and you can kind of imagine it all going on. But with with a brass band, you've just got like, you know, 20 different shades of the same thing going on and there's so many bass instruments and and understanding how those bass instruments resonate with each other you know from a timbre point of view and what should go above and below what was pure guesswork and i i feel very lucky not to have made a total cock of it to be be honest (laughs) i I remember i've sort of opened up sibelius and opened up like an empty brass band score and yeah there's so many instruments and they all kind of sound the same so like (laughs) Like, how do you choose, oh, I'm going to stick that in the second tenor horn uh, or I'm going to put it in the euphonium or the baritone mm. or, or the flugel? Like, how, how, do you, how do you decide? And, it's, and I guess, yeah, it, you do just have to go, well, my first instinct was just to do that yeah. and see how that sounds. Because then you could come up with something really yeah. cool and, and original. But... <laughs> Did you get much chance to workshop it with them before no, you No, well, that's it, isn't it? With, with orchestras, you know, you, you might get two rehearsals, three rehearsals if you're lucky. So by the time you've got a chance to hear it, it's far too late to do anything about it. Um, so, yeah, the, the the pressure's there. And walking, well, in, walking well into that... Well, uh, Thank you. <laughs> well <laughs> working, done. Walking into that band room in Brighouse for the first time, that was that was pretty scary. Yeah. Because uh, it turns out they were all very sweet, but uh, they, they were only sweet once they'd heard the music. You know, they were pretty intimidating to start with <laughs> what's their band room like is it a very small kind of they tend to be very tiny little rooms with like no reverb at all that's right yeah yeah it sounds very different than than in a concert hall um so you have a you have to have some faith that it's going to blend a bit better than it sounds in the in the concert in in the um, rehearsal room it's just like a little sort of yeah pavilion type little wooden room the um the brass band world is, is such a fascinating 
thing, I think. I, I, because I, I'm from Essex. There's not really the brass band. Well, there is a, there's a few bands South around End, there, but, but there's not band? many, not many. There is a South there End is. band. I did, I did do a few, but I did do a few rehearsals when I was a kid, but. Yeah, there's no there's no mines or or mills really. Well, there are probably some mills actually, but yeah. So I didn't grow up grow up through that tradition at all. But a lot of my colleagues, probably over fifty percent of the brass world, classical brass world or pop brass world, came through the brass band's tradition. And I've done quite a few competitions with Zone One Brass Band, which came which was formed in the Royal College of Music of ex people, like people that used to play in brass bands when they were when they were kids. And they thought, well, let's let's form this brass band, and um, they're in the championship section, and we've played the Royal Albert Hall a few times, and it's really great fun. But the first time I did it, it was like it's the weirdest thing ever doing a competition. I don't know if you've ever been. Have you been to those competitions, contests? Yeah, brass yeah. band contests. And it's it's so funny. Like we do it in a theatre. Um, we do it in the the Gordon Craig Theatre in Stevenage. That's the areas, and <laughs> the judging panel are in a little tent. Like in a box, they can't see who's playing. In theory, they don't know. Who really, it is. yeah. And it's all been. about playing. Everyone plays the same piece. It's about a fifteen-minute-long piece. Everyone plays it. Twenty bands or so, and it's just about playing the right notes in the right place with a with a nice sound in tune, all that kind of thing. But if you play a wrong note, it's basically that's over. Oh it's, my it's, god! It's actually quite a non-musical thing. I, it's it's really a bit like game. gymnastics, isn't it? <laughs> well, it is. It's very similar to that. It's, it's that kind of thing. Yeah, I think. Yeah. It's, I think it's that's partly why it's really important that something like um, Durham Brass Festival, which commissioned us, uh, exists now. That, that, that there are increasingly uh, bodies um, uh, there to create new music for brass bands and to hopefully change some of that culture from you know from being just about you know competency on a on a musical level to to something more artistic um and and also just so that there's more uh, money floating about in that world but the, the most extraordinary thing we we came away with was to, you know that this world was essentially amateur in terms of the lack of funding and pay within that world that it's predominantly just you know propped up by the goodwill of the people that play it and you know uh, finding that in some ways some of those players back in the day when they were minors and what have you they in some ways had more freedom to play than than the guys do now because if you were you know, if you were a minor you had dispensation to play in the band if the band had a booking you know you got your shift off or whatever and you could you, you, your job was to go and play in the band whereas now they've all got you know full time jobs and they they can only go and do do it in the holidays or, or or somehow squeeze it in to to their working and family life finding that there was players coming from Gateshead to to rehearse in Brighouse twice a week not getting home till two in the morning and going to work the following day and perhaps playing twice a weekend uh, in concerts as well the amount of pressure those guys are, are under you know to keep that world going when when there's so much funding for you know for classical music and opera and what have you um, is you know virgin on scandalous really. And of course, you have your uh, your weekend as we well. Do. Now that you've run your phone. Ah, <laughs> oh, I'm so intrigued by these oh. on every because you do everything, don't you, with these weekends? Cooking, yeah. walking, singing, obviously. Yeah, so people come to Northumberland, and we basically it's just uh-huh. to sing and 
the aim is you don't have, you know, the premise is you don't have to be, you don't have to think of yourself as a singer. And um, so we come and we sing together and we sing in harmony. We teach harmony singing, but we also teach a lot of chorus songs so that we have a common repertoire. Because on the Saturday we go for a walk on a Northumbrian beach and end up in a pub and have a singing session where we will sing lots of, we'll lead lots of songs that people can join in with. But then you'll find that people will know a song and they'll sing it and people will listen to that, give space for that or they'll join in and um but yes adrian just is the chef he does the cooking and the band do the chopping me and becky make cakes and crumbles <laughs> my mother takes the breakfast order um she's quite strict so you know you've got to get it right and um and your dad oh. makes the fire on a night sometimes doesn't he so we sing around a fire as well and we ha- eat a lot we eat a lot we eat cheese we sing <laughs> of my dad and my stepdad jim are very involved as well they singing a group together see shanties and local songs so it's like it's a bit we do usually do seven a year and it's a bit like hosting a new year's eve party every weekend of the winter which we've discovered in its absence this year that we really miss and becky was saying to me becky was saying oh i didn't really realize how miserable our winters were because i'm too distracted like like doing these things and it's been it's been a hard long winter for lots of reasons not just because the lack of singing weekends obviously but but it's lovely (laughs) that people come and they've almost like so people come back to the same weekend and they all they like they've become like a group in within themselves socially and sometimes now i feel like they don't even need us anymore as long as we even cook their dinner it would be all they'd be all right we could just leave them to say, it the food yeah. element and the cake yeah <laughs> so it's it's really lovely um, adrian what's your specialist subject dinner what's subject yeah your subject not subject dinner what's your what's your food of choice <laughs> uh, well we make, we make all sorts um we, we uh it's a tiny tiny kitchen with no ventilation, um, and the hobs are like student hobs, um, so uh, uh, it's limiting. But there's three ovens, so I tend to work towards things that can go in an oven ultimately. So I make lots of like fish pie and and stuff like that. Um, but the, the the dish that we're most famous for uh, sounds hideous uh, on purpose <laughs> uh, to, to to prove that it's not sort of thing, uh, and that's sprout pasta. Okay, yeah. it's a big oh. hit, <laughs> right? <laughs> It's a massive hit. It is. Um, Yeah. It's delicious. Well, that's great. I mean, is there a secret weapon within this sprout pasta, though? (laughs) Apart from the sprout. (laughs) Well, you'll you'll just have to come and and, and try it, uh, guys. I think so. I think so. But my body body misses the singing weekends. It's the only, like, cooking for 63 times a day is very physically demanding. Uh, in such a hot kitchen oh, yeah. as well, and uh, it's my one chance to get fit once a year, and yeah, <laughs> so I've never felt so unfit without them. I think my liver's quite happy though. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Is it sixty people you've got? You, you have singing usually and, about and fifty, singing. and with and with us and and uh, family and stuff. Oh yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, it's more not normally more like cooking for seventy. I'm just interested to talk about the um, teaching non musicians. Mm-hmm. Um, how to sing these these songs and she talk about harmony music like harmony songs i think it's just basically what we just teach what we know in a way and and i, I think as you get older you, like you lose chance to to sit unless you're a performer to make music or have room to sing together and and also 
one of the things we really missed when we used to tour constantly was that like we'd miss that time of year when we knew our family and friends were going to be in a pub singing together in a singing session and they're most exhilarating times they're like you know it's so the power of everybody singing together and you adding being a tiny part of that big sound is kind of exhilarating and we wanted to recreate that so so that's kind of why we where we teach chorus songs so, so that we have this combined repertoire. So when you you pile into a pub and they, somebody starts a song, everybody can join in because they already know it. But also we do teach harmony as well. And obviously me and Becky don't make music up from, you know, don't read music. I read music a bit to play the cello, but I don't read it for singing and Becky doesn't at all. And so the way we make up harmony has always been just by trial and error and seeing what sounds nice and also learning from those like pub sessions of hearing other harmonies or trying something out and knowing that no one can really hear so it's okay and so so sometimes we like we'll sing rounds or we'll make we'll arrange some songs and we'll teach the tunes and then we'll if some people are a bit more confident or want to try harmony we teach harmony as well so we'll teach three-part harmony but we also talk about like on a Sunday, we always sing the same song, which is Bright Morning, Bright Morning Stars Arise. And it's an American song, actually. And we talk about the way we make up harmony and how it is trial and error and how, like, within that room and that space to, like, just give it a go and to trust. And, you know, and don't worry about making a, it sounding not very nice. And, you know, we talk about, like, holding the the starts of lines or this could be a simple harmony and talk a little bit about it but really let people kind of have that that one chance within like company that isn't going to judge them to have a go as well and so that's really nice because I think there's a real pleasure at, well me and Becky find a real and I think other people as well obviously find a real pleasure in singing harmony like it makes you feel good you know and is a really powerful thing of the weekends is that especially at the beat when we first started them was that on the Friday night people didn't know each other and it's lots of individuals and everyone's a bit nervous and they don't really know what to expect we don't really explain much and and a little bit anxious and then by the end of the weekend because we've walked together and sang and drank and eat, ate together and been together we very quick and I think because music and singing breaks down those social barriers quite quickly that we're, we're like a, we are a group like a whole group and then like every voice within that room then contributes to the sound and that's such a lovely kind of quite emotional feeling of like you know being a, a small part of a big whole and I think like me and Becky get as much out of it as anybody else and yeah it's it creates really like lovely memories and um and just a nice way to spend your your winter weekends really for us you know we've really missed them and we've met such nice people like people say oh well, I bet you get some strange people coming and I'm saying well not really because like every but if you come to a weekend and you know you're gonna have to sing and just be open then I think it just creates like a like minded open-minded person who comes and we just yeah it's just it's really really lovely yeah it sounds magnificent the soundbite i suppose is is um participation not performance yeah that's what it's about fundamentally and from a band perspective it's born out of the fact that you know the, the music industry is changing all the time and people don't buy recorded music in the numbers that they used to anymore and and bands are trying to find different ways of um of 
surviving <laughs> surviving and interacting with their audience in, in new ways and and i think there's some there's some good things and some bad things come out of that but I, mean, I think the whole uh kind of patron and crowdfunding aspect has uh, some positive origins but some of it's led to the sort of culture of of kind of selling en- anything and everything uh whether it's you know 50 copies of handwritten lyrics when that involves the songwriter having to actually write them out 50 times and for an ex- for an extra 20 quid I'll sign it for you it's like well firstly sign it anyway and and second what you what's it worth unless it you know perhaps if it was the original lyrics you know that that's an artifact maybe that's worth something but just just the whole kind of monetization of 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 trivia that's based on kind of capitalising on that sort of fan who has sort of um, completist and obsessive. That's all, that's all the sort of kind of behaviour we're, we're meant to be discouraging, I think. And, and we're, you know, we're trying to break down the hierarchy between artist and audience and, and, and get all on a level. And lots of that's happening through social media in a really positive way. But the downside of it is that there's this sort of, you know, how, how do we... We, we can get £10 for a new record. How can we get 20 How can we get 30 And And there's sort of increasingly kind of tenuous ways of, of doing that. And our singing weekends are, could appear to, to be to belong to that that uh, new culture. And and I think that's why we're so keen to, to make sure that they're um, such good value for money. And, and, no, uh, they sound like that, yeah, and, quite. And so inclusive in the, the way that we that we give people exclusivity to come back the same year on the same weekend means that, that we're investing in those people year on year rather than sort of taking the money and showing them the door. Um, we're trying to create and forge um, traditions and, and history with, with groups of people in a way that has sort of meaning and, and, and a lasting effect, hopefully. It does also mean that we've got friends when we're on the road now as well. So you can always get somebody <laughs> to show us where a good pub is. Very handy. In terms of being creative during lockdown, I spent most of it writing music for a scarecrow. Oh, um, that's true. Which... Oh, of course. What's all garbage? <laughs> yeah. Yes. Seems like so long ago now. It was just last, last year. <laughs> yeah because there's that, a new series isn't, isn't there coming out yeah. this year mm-hmm. you, is that is the music written for that already or are you no uh, no in fact uh, just this morning i received some some first drafts of of Ooh. the scripts uh so it's all hot off the press and, send it uh, to me quick <laughs> so you probably can't wait to get off this zoom call and start yeah, writing yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly yeah so, I've got so to make, please uh, let me go right now i've got to make three episodes <laughs> in in the time it took to to write to make one last year so so uh, <gasps> pressure's on, yeah. Oh, well, God. you love a deadline. Yeah. Exactly. You're going to exactly. <laughs> it's the only way we work. <laughs> oh, yeah. Ah, Thank you, guys. Brilliant. That was really nice chat, that. Um, and if nothing else, we got some fantastic merch ideas, didn't we, after that? I mean, seriously. They have done it properly. We need. This is what we need to emulate, Seb. Maybe we don't just need pencils with rubbers on that you can like stick on music stands. We need books, handwritten transcripts of the podcast. Yes, there. How much do you say? Fifty quid. <laughs> and then if they want it signed, hundred quid. <laughs> yes, exactly. I think 
think that's fine, isn't I was, it? I was struggling away fine. while he was writing that. But he was saying that that was so while bad. He was telling us that stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or we could um, do weekenders. Well, we could do some sort of weekend. I don't know what people would do. I like that. Go to the pub and um, and chat. Well, you've got your wine, haven't you? you yes. Could do a, a wine tasting yeah. weekender. Mm. Oh, good idea. The pound signs are flashing up in my eyes. Well, if you're interested in that idea, then then get in touch. Yeah. If that's a goer. Yeah. It'd be good. Well, speaking of paywalls mm-hmm. and um, asking for money from people, well, we've got a Patreon. Nice. Um, nice segue. Basically, the Patreon. We've got bonus content. Mm. And and with this episode, we've got an extra 25 minutes, I think. I think it's about 25 minutes. Yeah, that's right. With them. And all our guests for, since about September or something. That's October, right. October. We started doing it pretty much around that sort of time. But also, you, you give us some money on the Patreon. It just helps support the show mm-hmm. because um, it takes up time, obviously. It does. And, uh, we do this for, for free otherwise, you know. Um, the show's free. But if you want to give us a little bit, bit of cheds, then that really helps. Yeah, we'll, uh, we'll happily take it. <laughs> we sort of do a halfway house this week because we have got this extra bonus chat with the Unthanks. Mm-hmm. But we thought um, we'll just stick it out anyway. Because, yeah. <laughs> so, so you can see, because actually it was a really great chat and there's so much of it um, that we wanted to put in the main show and it was just going to be too long. So yeah. what we're going to do later in the week, what day should we say? Thursday, Friday? Let- I think let's go Thursday. So all you Thursday. Patreons already signed up. Yeah. Well done. You can yes, have well it done. from Monday and yeah. that's that's yours. That's yours to yeah. keep. Those three days you can know things that other people don't know. And then on <laughs> Thursday, everyone else can join the party and then you can yeah. all chat about it together. Yeah, that's hey. good. Got, I'll tell you some of the topics we, we get onto. Dancing, clog dancing. We get more into that. Oh yeah. And the the differences between the northeast clog dancing style and the Lancashire dancing style. Mm. How about that, right? We also talk about recording techniques, how it's changed over the years. Uh, as you know, Adrian has produced them all through through all this time, and uh, the things he does in the studio to make it sound like they're just in a pub somewhere. Yeah. Or, or vice versa. So it's it's really interesting that stuff. It is. And his Adrian's preoccupation with scale. He talks about scale and always having this sort of obsession with it. And yeah, um, that was so interesting how he linked that to uh, to his environment, to, to where they live, and you know they mm. see things. Lots of their stuff is site specific, and and you can really see that when he's talking about it, talking about the scale of Northumberland, and yeah, yeah, it's cool. That's right. I'm trying to recreate that. Uh, as a an experience in musical form and we also just talk about the state of folk music today and, we do uh, and all that they're they're pretty much they're right up there aren't they as in the in the folk scene um check out their music if you haven't already if you've managed to get this far and not not listen to any of the um the unthanks records there's so much stuff out there they've done lots of different kinds of albums and live yeah. performances their most recent one is uh it's really small scale it's just the three women's voices i think we talked about a little bit in the pod um yeah. it's just going stripped right back to the unaccompanied voices and it's it's stunning and then they've got some yeah. massive things as well haven't they like with the brick house album it's great well any other business to talk about this week well yeah there is there's something and it's i mean 
It's a very sad thing, actually, but I thought it was really important to put it in this podcast. Um, a colleague of Rob's at Royal Ballet Symphonia called Harry Penny, who is a delightful human being, um, his wife has sadly got stage four bowel cancer and has been through the most horrendous course of treatment for a long time and and has recently had terrible news to say that she has to go through more treatment and that it's been um it's very very expensive the nhs will no longer fund this treatment um and it's going to be two thousand pounds a month to basically extend her life i mean hopefully you know she's still very very positive that you know maybe she could get better as well which which is brilliant so the thing is though as i said two thousand pounds a month is an awful lot of money. So they are, um, they've set up a Just Giving page. And I wanted to ask you lovely people, if you could spare any tiny amount of money for this incredible cause. They've done so well already. They've raised loads, but every penny is obviously so valuable. Let me give you the link. I'll also put it in the show notes. It's justgiving.com forward slash crowdfunding forward slash L-E-E-L-L-I-E Spicer. So if you've got any extra money at all to spare, it'd be so gratefully received. Thank you. I'm just having a look on the website now. They're up to 49,861. This is as of Sunday at half four in the afternoon. That's totally brilliant. To 50,000. And the the, um, the target actually was 48,000. Mm. And they, they've hit almost 50,000. Yeah. Um, really quickly that is incredible in a really short amount of time yeah totally please keep giving because that is um obviously they've set a target but um i guess every extra bit is just you know totally vital yeah yeah thanks guys Uh, eddie Eddie, eddie's lovely anyway Mm. a few times and uh so is harry yeah so uh yeah Yeah. uh, hopefully hopefully this will work or this will help yeah some way I hope so, definitely. Wow. So, I mean, yeah. from there, what what's coming up ahead this week for you, Seb? This week? Yes. Well, the first thing to mention is that I'm doing today the last <gasps> shift yeah. of a, a part-time job that I've been doing. Oh, uh, hooray! Which, and I did sign an, a non-disclosure agreement form, which gives it far too much excitement and and like. Are you like a butler for what it is? Are you a butler to like <laughs> Ryan Gosling or something? Well, I can neither <laughs> confirm nor deny whether it is Gosling. Um, if um, it is, in years to come, I want to read that memoir. I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe I can talk about it after my final three-hour shift. Wonderful. Um, but. Yeah, I was doing a job. I just thought it got to like, I've not talked about it on here. I got mm. to sort of January and you know, do you remember then? It was like so bleak. Utterly. It was like nothing. Mm. And I just thought, try and get a job, just anything. Um, yeah. And I luckily managed to get something, but it was pretty much minimum wage. Mm. Um, but bloody good some- for you for doing that. Because, yeah, like you say, it was totally bleak and you just can't sit around in that time, can you? Like, it's just terribly depressing to to not be doing anything. Mm. So it's really good you went and did that. Yeah, but if you remember what I was doing at the time, I was also all day was renovating my house Mm. and (laughs) I was trying to do the podcast as well. Yes, And that, we had to take a couple of weeks off, didn't we? Because it was just, I just had had no time. I had no time to sleep. Mm. 
hardly saw my little baby. Mm. Uh, it was, yeah, it was a little bit um, quite tiring and exhausting. Mm. Um, but, you know, things are looking, definitely looking better now, aren't they? I've got they things in the diary. Um, the, the blooming pandemic is starting to go away, isn't it? Uh, yes, let's say that. I, yes, good. it is it's, it's good. very good. I've been vaccinated good. partly. Yes. And, uh, I'm feeling much better. So my, my job's finished and now I'm just back to being a trumpet player. You know what? Uh, you look like you've got yeah. a happy, healthy glow about you now. <laughs> I think it's been an excellent yeah. thing. <laughs> you know what? It's, it has been. I'm glad I did it. Yeah. Overall. Yeah. For for perspective. Um, mm-hmm. I did earn a little bit of money. Yes. But a lot. it's a lot of effort gone yeah. into that. Yeah. But, I you bet know, you value is- even more. Like it makes you value what oh, we do mate. even more, doesn't it? So much. Yeah. We're so lucky, aren't we? So lucky. Yeah. Because like what we do, it it literally does not feel like work. And like no. we talk about that talked about that before, probably. Mm. And but it really is such a joy to to play music with people and earn money like that. Absolutely. God, it's like, yeah. There's just no there's no downside, is it? It's just like you're, you're making music. Oh, and then you get paid. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah. So good. Obviously, it's a job. So if you, if you listen to this and think, well, we don't need paying. We still need paying, like, obviously. Very but, much um, need paying. <laughs> but, but still, oh, God, I'm just so excited for everything to get back going. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So Aww. that's what I'm doing. I'm just going to be at home a bit more. Yeah. Doing some, doing some looking after my, my daughter, seeing Aww. my wife. Aww. Um seeing uh you <laughs> see <the> <laughs> <Seeing> my yeah. <laughs> yeah heading up to Leighton yeah <laughs> yeah that's it yeah um yeah. now w- w- what about you Verity well what now what is lying here? actually do you know what I'm really excited on Tuesday evening I'm going to go and see some pals of mine who've been away for a long time who are coming both back to London for a while Hooray. So that's going to be brilliant. And um, I'm getting my cello out a bit next week, which is, you know, for fear of sounding like a smug git, but I really haven't been because I haven't, my phone couldn't have been quieter this year. And I'm very excited. Yeah. That to, to I'm play very a excited bit. to announce. I'm very excited to announce that my cello will be coming out of its case and hopefully bringing money in. <laughs> so, yeah. That's Are you going nice. to buy new strings for it? I'm going to get rosin because I sat on my rosin last year and I've been using my son's rosin on my cello boat. That's not great. I mean, it's quite posh rosin, but still. Um, I'm going to buy rosin. I'm going to get... Is it Nyman? <laughs> it's what you call it. It's the one which you just literally get in a slide-on packet. No, it's very nice. Um, I'm going to go and buy some posh stuff. I thought Nyman the- was nice. Oh, is, is it? I, the Maybe one that I salchow. Double base one. Yeah. William Salchow. And the reason that I use Ooh. it is because I saw that somebody in the Berlin Phil used it. And I thought, well, if I do, then I'm going to sound like her. To Did it work? some extent. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, it's great. It's very good. Um, yeah, I am going to tart up the cello and uh, yeah, get the studies what are you up doing? and running. You tell us. Just a little quartet gig this week and then, yes. um, and then some... Yeah, some exciting stuff in a few weeks to come. So, yeah, but I'm going to practice a bit first and then I'll feel happy to talk about it. <laughs> uh, yeah, me too. I've, I've got a bit, bit of trumpet playing this week. So Hooray! I've got to get the old trumpet out, get to ah. the old long notes. Yeah, lovely, lovely. Ooh. Ooh. Uh, right. Now, right. this episode, I've got to say, it's been quite a long one. It has. 
can you cut us down? <laughs> uh, yeah, I'll I'll do my best. Good, good. I'll, uh, but we'll, it's still gonna be long. But, yeah, you know. we'll let them go now, though, shall we? With no further ado. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, hey, next week is our fiftieth episode. Hey! Ah, oh, and we've got a really cool guest, haven't we? Yeah, I think we do. <laughs> um, so. Catch up with us next week mm-hmm. and have a great time in your gardens, in outdoor pubs, and uh, listen out for news of. <laughs> so, is the hard um, drive breaking up? <laughs> <laughs> listen out for any news. Uh. Goodbye. Goodbye. softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.